Martin banks it off. Sutter is up with it there. Right around in front. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Leading goal scorer on the team. Drew one in front. It's the TC Martin Show. A tie game on the power play. Hodgson was at the front of the net. They are even. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. A power play goal by the captain. TC Martin. It's brushed on back by Richard Buckson. Right up front. Younger finish side of the net. Is now in. And a very good Monday to you. Hope your weekend was well. Get ready to crank one up again this week. Nonstop sports talk to the four o'clock hour, as you know. TC Martin, VGK, Ballpark Frank in the house, Numchuck on the other side of the glass, making it happen for you. And yes, tonight, Vegas Golden Knights back at the Fortress. For, I want to call it the most important regular season game of the year. Is there such a thing? Well, I guess there probably is. Yeah. I'm not sure. To me, it lacks a little bit of the importance because they're going to win the division. They pretty much wrapped that up. I know they're still playing for the President's Trophy, but that only comes into play if if they did somehow lose it in Carolina 1. Carolina would still have to make it to the final and playing against Tampa Bay and Florida. That's certainly far from a given thing. So, I mean... I guess you can build it up that way. You can try to make it sound that way to make it more exciting. I think it lost a little bit of its luster, the fact that, you know, Vegas has won everything kind of handily, and uh, that one game that uh, Colorado lost when Grubauer lost the stick to San Jose would have made it more interesting tonight if tonight would have been like, you know, there could have been a tie or something like that to me. But, you know, yeah, it's still a big game. Okay. So uh, I'll, I'll take the other side, Mr. Debbie Downer over there. Here I'm not Debbie Downer. You asked my opinion. I'm giving my opinion. All right. Here's you know the the networks would would really not like that take. So I'm going to ask you a question here. So if you were doing the pregame show with the Golden Knights like you did for you know the past whatever three years, would you have that same take? Would you have that same presentation right there? I, I would still have my same opinion on the air. No. Though, I mean, but wouldn't the, you build it the up promos like, and stuff like that? Obviously, you'd build up. Yeah. This is a big game for both teams. Right. Colorado's there still trying go. to hold off Minnesota. You know, they're, they're not yeah. even guaranteed home ice for the first round. It's a statement game for Vegas. They want to win a game. Who's going to play goal tonight? Do they continue the rotation? Does Robin Leonard finally face the Avalanche? Does Marc-Andre Fleury do it again? Is they get ready for playoff positioning? You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you can build it up. I mean, yeah. let, let's face it. I mean they build up fights and make every fight sound like it's Ali Frazier or something like that. And cards when you're like, really, this is your main event type yeah. of deal. So yes, I, but I'm not, I, I didn't know that I was on the promotional team. When you <laughs> asked me to, what I thought of tonight's game. <laughs> it's just funny because it's true. You, you do have a, a different stance when you are or going that realm. And again, we're having a casual conversation or we're on the air where, Neither one of us are in that official capacity. Yeah. Yeah, UNLV so, yeah. makes it sound like some of their football games are important. Yeah. When was the last one? <laughs> but you proved my point exactly. So, yeah, just having some fun with that. Yeah. It's true. But, yeah, so I, I will say that all of the things that you said on the, the second go-round there are apropos because, yeah, this is they, they have not clinched the, the division yet. But with that victory tonight, they clinched the division – the President's Trophy, best record in the NHL, big deal. Talk about Carolina. So they're tied with them. Both have 80 points at this point in time. Well, actually with a win or even a 
if it goes to overtime. Right, right, right. So, and I believe what Car- Carolina's got a couple more. You got Carolina's more got game, one more, more game, game in, one more yeah. game, and Carolina's yeah. got eighty points, and so mm-hmm. does Vegas. Right. So, yeah, I think tonight is a big game, and then you have the fact that the talk all season long has been the Golden Knights and the Avalanche. Those are the two teams. And we've talked about it before, and other people have said it as well, too. Hey, I don't think they're going to beat the Avalanche, you know, in, in the playoffs. And these games have been highly contested. They've met seven times so far this season. The Golden Knights have won four out of the seven. And uh, so if it was a, a, a series, Golden Knights would already win and, and advanced on. Uh, last time they met April 28th, where the Golden Knights won at T-Mobile Arena 5-2. to two. And actually, the Golden Knights have won the last two meetings here. So, and we know Colorado had some injuries; they had the, the COVID issues and that sort of thing. But let's run down these scores of the first seven games. Okay, Golden Knights won one nothing early on in the season. Next time they met, Colorado won three to two. Colorado won uh, game three, exact same score, three to two. Golden Knights delivered a shutout, three nil. Colorado. Uh, paid him back 5-1, and I believe that was the Lake Tahoe game where Colorado won 5-1, right? Crazy game that yeah, was. Yeah, Golden Knights 3-2 overtime winner, and then uh, the Golden Knights win 5-2 uh, last time they met at T-Mobile. So, yeah, uh, Golden Knights have won three uh, in a row and four out of the last five, uh, and they're going for the division title and with hopes of getting the best record in the NHL, that President's Trophy. So, yeah, I think, I think tonight's a big deal. You could probably make the argument that, hey, Colorado needs the game more. I think the Golden Knights want to win this game as, as well, too. But, yeah, I think Colorado definitely is going to play hard tonight. Both teams will play hard. But I think it is a big game. And if you buy into this, hey, this is the biggest regular season game, if, you know, and I hate it when people say that, well, regular season really doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it does. It, it means a lot. So if you want to hype up a end of the season, regular season game against two teams you know are probably two of the best teams in the league, and they're going to probably face off at some point in time you know, during the postseason, they, they both want to win. And, and it, it does say something if the Knights win five out of eight of, of the season series or Colorado you know, uh, gets the victory tonight and they split 4-4. Yeah, I, I see that from the mental aspect of it. But again, it is regular season. It doesn't mean it's going to equate to the playoffs. Uh, I think it would kind of be a shame if these two teams do not meet in the finals for this division. I don't want to call it the Pacific no. Division because I don't know what the hell it is. It's, it's the Just 2021 the West. Yeah. <laughs> West Division. But, um, you know, and I think what makes it maybe even a little bit bigger for Vegas is the fact that you know, they do want to play St. Louis in the first round. They just beat St. Louis twice again. They've owned them this year. Now, the flip side of that is Colorado has owned Minnesota this year. We know that Vegas struggles with Minnesota, or at least it appears that way. Now, again, those are regular season games. We don't know how it equates in the playoff. It's a whole different time. We don't know if there's going to be a goalie rotation in the playoffs. We don't know if Marc-Andre Fleury's won the job. Personally, I think he should have won the job for the playoffs. But Pete DeBoer isn't going to be calling me, asking me what he should do with the goaltender rotation. I'm pretty sure of that. I mean, my phone's available if he does, but I have a feeling that's not going to happen. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, there are little things there. And, and I think one of the keys is, especially for Colorado, because we know Vegas is a little bit beat up here and there, but Vegas has a lot of depth. Colorado's had a lot of injury problems. And I still think the big difference right now is if – Vegas had an injury to one of their goaltenders, and knock on wood that doesn't happen because I don't want to see anybody injured because I want to see the best players in the world play against each other on every team out there. 
They have two quality all-star caliber goaltenders. Colorado, if Grubauer gets hurt or has COVID issues again or something that he's had in this season, they're in big trouble. They don't have goaltending depth. And I'm still not sold on Grubauer in the playoffs. And maybe I put too much into the time that the Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup and Grubauer got the first two starts and he didn't look good. On home ice, lost both games. Braden Holtby came in. And he led them all the way to the Stanley Cup. We basically didn't hear from Grubauer again. So maybe that puts a chip on his shoulder. But I think the goaltending depth is a huge advantage for Vegas come playoff time. But again, that's assuming that both teams make it there. Even though Vegas has owned St. Louis in the regular season and Colorado has owned Minnesota in the regular season, the playoffs are a whole different thing. You lose that first game or something, and all of a sudden things are different. It's a seven-game series, so it's not a short series. But it's still a series that you don't want to fall behind or something, and you want to get the games over as quickly as possible and stay as healthy as possible. No doubt. And I think I remember the last game, I think it was the last two times these two teams met that, you know, Grubauer did not play. And we we saw, even though, uh, you know, the Golden Knights won both of those games. Yeah, Devin Dubnik did not look well. And it was horrible in the 5 2 game. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, just really, really bad. And and which I I still don't don't know exactly what happened to him. Because when he was in Minnesota, and it wasn't that long ago, I remember Bruce Boudreaux, who was their bench coach back then, saying that he would put him in there against anybody. Carey Price, Marc-Andre Fleury, Jonathan Quick, you name the goalie, he feels Dubnik's as good as any of them. And that particular season, he was. And all of a sudden, it shows what a mental position that is, and also how filming that some one coach finds something that you can't, stop something on the stick side or the glove side, or maybe you're moving a little bit different in that. You, you know, there's ebbs and flows. But Dubnik right now is in a funk. He has not played well in goal this year. He's a big guy. He's not the fastest goalie in the world, but he's kind of quick in that. He seems like he's not playing with the confidence. He's out of position a little bit, and his quickness seems to be lacking. But I think that all goes with confidence. But, boy, you don't want a goalie without confidence in the playoffs. Yeah, well, speaking of which, uh, you know, we've seen that with Robin Leonard, too. And when we get to shootouts, you see that. He though does not actually, feel comfortable. Though he's actually been better of late in the shootout and stopping uh, breakaways in that. Yeah. It's ironic because – his overall game, the last couple of games, I think has taken a step back, but he's become better in the breakaways and the shootouts. Right, right. In the last shootout, I mean, he was very good. Yeah, you no, he, yeah, he was solid. Yeah. But again, as the games get more meaningful against the top-notch opponents and moving into the playoffs, you know you could tense right back up again. And there's no and shootouts in the playoffs, remember. It, you know? exactly, it, it doesn't right. matter how good or bad right. you are in a shootout. Right. Unless there's a penalty shot, that's the closest exactly. thing we're going to have to a shootout-type right. situation. Right. So... The big question, who is in goal tonight? Marc-Andre Fleury has started all seven games. That is crazy. How ironic is, is, is that? That I mean, just the matchup of the schedule. Pete DeBoer started doing this, you know, the rotation, which many people, many fans wanted him to do last year. But this year, he stuck to it. It's opening night, Robin Leonard, Marc-Andre Fleury, and he has basically stayed with that. Despite, you know, of course, when injuries came into play, when Leonard missed time and then Fleury had to, um, to start all those games. Yeah, but which, which is why Fleury's played all seven games, it, because correct. otherwise you go, well, wait, if there's a rotation, how yeah. did that happen? Yeah. Because there was one game series instead of two right. because of that. Or when there was right. the back-to-backs, And Leonard the way the calendar available. fell as yeah. well, too. Yeah. And, and time is one of these games where this is a makeup game. As well, too. It wasn't originally on the calendar, right? And then so it falls. And remember, we were looking at this like two weeks ago. Oh, well, next time they play, 
How, how is this going to fall on, on May the 10th? And then, boom, here it is. So, yeah, Marc-Andre Fleur has started all seven games against the Avalanche, four and three in those games, goal against average 2.14, and he's riding this personal eight-game win streak right now. He has been fantastic and maybe make the argument the, the, the best goalie in the entire league right now. Well, number three star of the week again in the there NHL. Right. So he, he was considered right. the best goalie this last week. Right. I mean, he's been sensational this year. Hasn't allowed more than two goals in any of those games during the streak. So Against a very high-powered offensive team. Yeah. Colorado was known for yeah. their offense. So I, I know that, uh, again, you know Pete DeBoer isn't calling you or you know doesn't have your number. I know your number's on private. Always come, your number always comes up as unknown anyway. You probably just block everybody. So I'm probably, probably using my burner phone line. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so if he does call, who starts in goal tonight? And there could be a little conspiracy theory here. We know that the Golden Knights like to keep things close to their vest. Robin Leonard, we expect him to start. But is it Marc-Andre Fleury? Because he's so familiar, it is hot right now. Interesting call. A lot of people don't know what's going to happen here tonight. I don't know if anybody except Pete DeBoer knows. Yeah. You know, maybe he's told the goaltenders. He might not have even told them yet. Oh. They like to play it close to the vest there. So I don't know. It wouldn't shock me to see Flurry start, and especially if they're not going to use the rotation in the playoffs, which I still have the feeling they're not going to. I think he's going to, just like last year he had Robin Leonard as his goalie, I think it's going to be Flurry this year. I think it should be Flurry. If they go with the rotation and they continue doing that, and then it should be Leonard tonight. Right. They should just keep it going, and including when the playoffs start. If they're saying Marc-Andre Fleury is their goaltender to start the playoffs, it wouldn't surprise me to say, all right, you're going tonight against Colorado. Then you can rest that last game against San Jose, get Leonard one more, action, one more game action before the playoffs start, and then Flower, take it away. So, so, but I don't know exactly what his thought process is or whatever. I would think that if you're going to play Flurry in the playoffs and you're going to rest him one of these last two games, I think you'd rather give him the, the rest before the playoffs start and, and get him in the game tonight, especially since tonight is arguably, in some people's mind, right. the biggest game right. of the regular right. season. Right. And I would think that he would stick to his rotation. That's what he's done all season long. Just because that does make it a little uncomfortable of a situation in that locker room. And, and, and you might, you might want to have Leonard get w- at least one look at these exactly. guys in case you need him to exactly. face him in the playoffs. Exactly. And so I think you you really need to stick with that. And again, like I said, you're going to the playoffs, you're going to get top seed, you're pro- more than likely going to win the division regardless even if you lose a game tonight. You have one more game against San Jose on Wednesday, but I I think you have to do that just for I don't want to say chemistry, but just kind of keeping things, keeping the circus out of the locker room, even though the media is not allowed in there, but still with the Zoom calls and everything. And a lot of times, you know, you would go to just about every one of those morning skates on game night. Which they didn't have one today, exactly. and I don't think that was necessarily just happened to be the way it felt. So there, there's part of the conspiracy theory. Hmm. Plus, nobody knows who was off the ice first today. There, that's another Because the first goalie off the yeah. ice is starting. Right. Well... If nobody's on the ice, nobody's first off the ice. Right. <laughs> so that's why this, you know, if you want to read into it, which we're definitely doing, and, and fans do the same thing as well, too, and everyone in the media does it as well, too, that, yeah, you, you have to look at these type of things. And we've seen this from the Golden Knights, too, as well. They like to keep everything hush-hush and quiet here. But can you imagine 
if Flurry does start tonight, and regardless of the outcome, that's a story now. And it's going to become a story for the last regular season game, heading to the playoffs, and that's the last thing that you want if you're Pete DeBoer as a coach. But then again, it, you could you could nip it in the bud and just say, this is what we're going to do. But I think people will accept it better if you just ride out the next two games with the regular rotation, and then people do expect you to name a starting you know, uh, goaltender once the playoffs begin. There'd be nothing wrong with that. But it could get flipped. But he didn't last year. You know. Last year was kind of a game by – I mean, he never yeah. said Robin Leonard is my goalie in the yeah. playoffs But here. we knew when it he started the to first two, way. we knew it. You know, we knew it when he first started the first two. But we did know it, but then there were still people arguing that, well, no, he's got to change now. He's got to – and again – let me emphasize this, especially for those that are novice hockey fans or, you know, maybe don't really remember exactly what happened except for that Vegas got eliminated in the playoffs. The goaltending did not eliminate them from the playoffs. Flurry and Leonard were both solid. It was the lack of goal scoring. You hope that's not the case this year if you're a Vegas Golden Knights fan. They led the league in five goal games. Their offense has been rolling. Pacioretty looks like he's about ready to come back. If he's in there tonight or not, I don't know. They've got a lot of players. They've got a lot of depth. I don't know exactly who they're going to play and who's going to be sitting. You know, Ryan Reeves, will he be in or will he not be in or whatever? But last year, it was the lack of scoring that cost this team. It was not the goaltending. So regardless of what they do in net, if they get that same type of goaltending, they should still be in a pretty decent position. Now, you can also argue, well, yeah, they led the league in five-goal games. Look at the competition in this division on the bottom half. Golden Knights have won seven straight at T-Mobile Arena. Tried to make it eight straight tonight. Colorado in town, big game. Looking forward to it. What's your gut feeling? What happens tonight? I think Vegas will find a way to win. I think there's going to be more fans there right now. I think Colorado would obviously love to win this game. But but I almost it seems to me that right now as important as the game is, Colorado wants to make sure that they're starting to play with a little bit of rhythm and they want to be healthy going into the playoffs because they do have injury issues in that. I, I, I think it's going to be a close-knit game. I know when you read those scores there, I think four of them were one-goal games and there was a couple blowouts here and there. I think tonight is more one of those close-to-the-best one-goal kind of games. Though somebody gets up two or three, it could get out of hand. The one thing I'm not necessarily expecting is, even if it gets out of hand, to see a lot of chippiness and the stuff that we saw against Minnesota and even St. Louis a little bit where you saw the teams. I think these guys are going to save it to the playoffs when it really matters, so I don't expect a lot of that. But I, I think it's going to be a good game, but I think whichever team's goalie plays better is going to win this game. And if I'm going to make a bet strictly on a goaltender, I'm not going against Marc-Andre Fleury this season. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is one of those games, if you're going to make a pick, at least for me, you, you've got to wait to the starting lamps are announced and, and to see who is in goal. You know, for me, and again, if it's Marc-Andre Fleury, lean towards the Knights. If it's Robin Leonard, lean towards the Avalanche. That's what I'm thinking. You know, and again, and both teams are going to play hard. They're both going to tell you they need it, and I think they, they, you know, again, no one's going to take the night off. But the Avalanche want to make a statement here. They do not want to ride into the playoffs again, losing a season series to the Golden Knights, and especially losing uh, the last three games. They don't want that. And, and then, so no, I and expect then a that- big time performance from Grubauer tonight and McKinnon. McKinnon's list is day to day, but he's going to go. He's, he's he's fine. And uh, I it would not surprise me if the Avalanche come out smoking tonight. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me either. I, I expect them to come out of the gate fast, but 
again, it's a long game. We've seen some of these yep. games where a team comes out quick and then they kind of, you know, hit the skids. And Colorado, if if I'm nervous about Colorado at all, and I'm not, I'm not an Avalanche fan, but I do respect mm-hmm. what they have in the team right there. I'm a little bit upset, and I'm I'm very concerned right now that you had a team like San Jose down two to nothing, and you blew that lead. I know Grubauer lost his stick at the end in a power play, and so it was kind of a freaky goal. But they shouldn't even have been in that position where you allowed them to tie it up again. I'm not sure that recently, anyhow, Colorado has had that killer instinct. Mm-hmm. Even in their last couple games against the Kings. They won the games, but they won them like 3-2. to two. They're only winning one-goal games against inferior competition. If I'm Colorado, I need a better effort, and I need a 60-minute effort out there. Right. You can't take lulls in that because if you do it against this Vegas team, they can score a goal, two, three goals in a big hurry or something like that, and then you're pretty much done. I think they need to wrap up their intensity. I know they've had injury problems and this, that, and the other. Every team in the league has injury problems, and Colorado is certainly used to it. For the Avalanche, I think they're looking for a full 60-minute effort tonight, and there are no moral victories. If they lose by a goal, it's still losing. I agree with you. They don't want to lose this series 5-3, to three, knowing that Vegas is going to have home ice in the second round of the playoffs should they meet up. All right, exactly. All right, 7 o'clock, face-off uh, tonight. Uh, the Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche final regular season meeting between these two squads. All right, B.J. Armstrong is going to join us, the three-time champion with the uh, Chicago Bulls. Uh, we'll talk a little NBA with him. Uh, we will talk to our good friend Matthew Holt, like we traditionally do on Mondays as well, to, from U.S. Integrity and also the sportsbook side. And Marco D'Angelo is going to join us next hour as well, too. Is he we... going to take a shot at picking a winner? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> hey. Uh, we're going to talk about this Kentucky Derby drama next hour, so hang tight for that because, yes, there is drama. The Kentucky Derby winner may be taken down. What I if mean, you had a ticket two on week, Mandaloon? Two weeks later. You what know? if you had a ticket on Mandaloon? Oh, oh that's, 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 a, that's a crazy thing. Oh, how about yeah. talk about your potential bad beat? Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get into the story later, but, yeah, Medina Spirits' victory in the Derby is in jeopardy. Failed post-race drug test. Uh, that, that came out over the weekend. Bob Baffert, his trainer, suspended the Hall of Fame trainer. Uh, more bad news for a sport that continues to be plagued by stories like this. So we're going to really dive into uh, this uh, next hour with Marco D'Angelo and Matthew Holt. Crazy stuff. But uh, before um, we go NBA, we do want to touch on uh, the fight on, on Saturday night with uh, Canelo Alvarez. Canelo, uh, as anticipated, Took care of business. Billy Joe Saunders, TKO, end of the eighth round where Billy Joe Saunders did not get off his stool. Canelo started pummeling him. Uh, in the, was pummeling him really pretty much throughout. And then at the end of the eighth round, uh, just body shots, head shots, and uh, Billy Joe Saunders' eye closed, almost nearly destroyed. He uh, could not come out for round number nine. And the advice uh, of his trainers and the doctors there at ringside, uh, no moss for Billy Joe Saunders, TKO, end of round eight, Canelo Alvarez, victorious again in another dominating performance. Well, and, and from what I heard, when Canelo went over to the corner, he basically told his corner, this fight is over, because I felt I basically broke his cheek. Yeah. And so then the orbital bone to the eye. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's not like he no-mossed like Roberto Durandian no, years ago. No, no, I mean, no, no. he he was no-mossed by the doctors, by his corner, by everybody else out no there. He was no by it, Canelo. It, yeah, it was a vicious <laughs> yeah. Uh, blow. Hopefully, 
he'll be okay and he might fight again. But, I mean, when you're talking orbital bone in the eye and that kind of stuff, you're talking potential career-ending type of injury there. I mean, it was a vicious punch. And, uh, you know, Canelo Alvarez, once again, showing a lot of people. And I, I'm not the biggest fan of this because it's a media-made-up thing or whatever, but if there is a pound-for-pound pound best in the world, it very likely could be Canelo Alvarez. It, it, it is Canelo Alvarez. I mean, there's no <laughs> doubt. You know, The detractors... You can maybe point to Terrence Crawford, but Canelo has faced the the top notch competition. He's taken on everybody, and again, you know, I, I hear some people out there that you know think, "Oh, Canelo's like Floyd Mayweather Jr. and handpicks opponents." That is such nonsense. If you followed the career of Canelo Alvarez, he has cleaned up three divisions. Cleaned up. There is nobody there to fight him. Actually, four divisions. Yeah, actually, even more than that if you want to go back. You know, going back to you know, 154 pounds, 160, 168, 168, you know, super middleweight. And then he's gone on to light heavyweight and, and beaten a couple of opponents at 175, Sergey Kovalev. I mean, there's no one else for him to fight. I talk about this all the time and say that for the last two years, there is nowhere else. For him to fight. Nobody for him to fight. And people will say, hey, fight Triple G again. Stop with that. He beat him twice, even though one was considered a draw. And then the last time he beat him, he beat him. There's no need to fight Triple G again. And Triple G is nowhere near the fighter. Got to remember, he was already older than Canelo, much older than Canelo. And Triple G, you know, he's been relatively inactive, fighting by far way less opponents. So people that are still cringing for that, turn back the clock four or five years ago. No. We don't want to see that fight again because Canelo would would take care of business rather handily, and there are other champions that are out there, 168, 165, but not true champions because Canelo is the champion of these divisions, but he will continue to fight. He will not take time off, continue to fight. I mean, this is his fifth fight in the last like, uh, 14, 15 months. He's been very, very active during the pandemic. And again, the people that were thinking that Billy Joe Saunders was going to give Canelo you know, uh, because he's a southpaw, give him a fight here? Forget about it. And what about some of these judges' scorecards? 78-74 on two judges' scorecards? Okay, I guess what? That's five rounds to two. 77-75 on one judge's scorecard? What fight are you watching? You can, first round, nothing happened. Nothing. And traditionally, you give it to the champion. But if you want to give it to Billy Joe Saunders, okay, fine. Maybe one other round, I'm okay with that. But I see. I saw a couple scorecards giving Billy Joe Saunders the the final three rounds, and and one of them was where Canelo destroyed the guy's eyes. No, Canelo Alvarez dominated this fight. If you want to be uh, generous, give him two rounds, maybe one round. It was all Canelo. Now wait a second. A judge gave him the round that he got the punch to the eye. I I, I don't think on the on these scorecards, but when you look at seventy seven seventy five, but I saw one of the. One of the guy, uh, the media scorecards at ringside gave uh, Saunders the final three rounds. So, yeah, what was that? Well, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's like basically giving a guy a round when he gets knocked down. Yeah. What would be a 10 8 yeah. round for sure? And you gave it to the guy that got the eight? So, you got to remember, though. His okay, eyesight's the, worse than right. Saunders was but, after the round. That's my point exactly. But you got to remember if you're scoring that fight, you have to score the eighth round. Because he quit on the stool in between rounds, right? But so he still took that punch. So the the scorecard's already it. turning, right? So you, you didn't see the punch. That's my. You point. didn't see the eye yeah. swell up. Yeah. That's you didn't saying. see him go back to the corner, and his and his trainers and that look like, oh my god, 
We're looking at Cyclops here? I guess Come that, on. I guess that clown thought, well, I guess he uh, did enough to win the round prior to that. That's like, what happens when you have insane. nepotism on a judge. What, was yeah. it his cousin or his brother-in-law? Yeah. Like I said, that wasn't one of the official judges. That was No, just, I'm, yeah, I'm just saying, and again, I'm, I'm going a little bit overboard, but yeah, yeah that's just ridiculous. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I love boxing. I love MMA. I love all the combat sports. But I, one thing I like about Canelo, where he is different than Floyd Mayweather, he finishes fights. So we don't have to worry, for the most part, about the judges screwing things up. Right, no doubt. Yeah, uh, Canelo Alvarez, a joy to watch uh, in the ring. And again, he put on another clinic in front of 70,000 fans on Saturday night. So that was uh, on DAZN. And uh, we'll see uh, what uh, what takes place next. You know, Canelo's still working, you know, off of that DAZN deal, and he was supposed to be splitting up and... But uh, you as long know. as he don't don't go to Triller, I'm good with it. Yeah, no, I don't think I don't think that's happening. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not happening, my friend. All right, B.J. Armstrong, the sharpshooting guard, the point guard of those Bulls championship teams. He's going to join us. We'll talk some NBA coming up next. Happy Monday to you. This is five-time NBA champion Bill Cartwright. When I'm in town, I always listen to T.C. Martin. You should too. NBA playoffs uh, around the corner. The play-in tournament? No, we got to get to the bottom of this. We got to see what our guy B.J. Armstrong says about this. We got that to talk about and a whole lot more. And here he comes, the 12-year NBA vet, three-time champion, the former All-Star, B.J. Armstrong. What's happening, my man? Oh, what's going on? I was just doing this Come on, man. You, you, the, we're going to have the funk going here. It, it's nonstop funk, BJ. That's what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to bring we're going to bring you in, and we're going to do a little old school name that tune with you if, if you're up to it. I, you let me know when I, you're ready. Absolutely. Anytime. Anytime. Now, see, I tried to do that with a big seven-footer, but the problem is that, you know, I mean, he's older than us, and he wanted me to go back to, you know, some Otis Redding stuff, and uh, he wanted me to go back, like, to the 50s and the 60s. He wanted me to go, uh, you know, back to the platters and yakky to yak and stuff like that. I mean, I go, come on, big boy. What are you talking about? Uh, you know, you got me with the fucking telling. I was just telling that. Then you came on. You know, so one nation under cool, you know, the fucking telling. I can think that. I can think that, my brother. I can think that. There it is. That's what I'm talking about. See, B.J. Armstrong can relate to George Clinton, Parliament Funkadelic, One Nation Under a Groove. Go a little knee deep, a little flashlight. There we go, B.J. We talk. We do this all day. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, I want to talk to you about uh, Russell Westbrook. Uh, Ties Oscar Robertson for most triple doubles in NBA history, 181. Pretty phenomenal. Um, You know, he matched him the other night on Saturday night, 33 points, 19 rebounds, 15 assists in the Wizards, 133 to 132 overtime win over the Pacers. Uh, 181. When you think about about this record being matched with a, a great guy like the Big O. What are your thoughts, man? Well, I, that's amazing. And that, that, that's an amazing accomplishment. Um, you know, I've had the privilege of knowing Russell since his rookie year. And uh, I always recall, and I go back to when I first met Russell uh, in 2008 when he entered the draft and then he I had the privilege of working with both of those guys at the same time as they were doing that free draft. So you can imagine I, I was working with Russell Westbrook 
and Derrick Rose every single day. I never imagined that one of them would win the MVP, let alone both of them some days would be MVP. And both of them have gone on to have literally Hall of Fame careers. So it's been amazing to watch to watch Russell Westbrook and what he's been able to do, his competitive spirit, the way he approaches his profession and what he's been able to do and to average a triple double, put up the numbers he's putting up, but most importantly his impact on winning. And he's been a very impactful player on both sides of the ball. But for him to be able to do that and to I never thought that was even attainable. Something with Oscar Robertson and his numbers being a former player, but to watch Russell do it and have an opportunity to surpass that is just an incredible, incredible accomplishment. Congratulations to him. And I think when we look back on it, I think all of us will look back and go, wow, we had an opportunity to witness someone play the game at this level of excellence because that is really just incredible. Anyone that's played, I think anyone who's watched the game or followed the NBA game will just look at those numbers and go, you know, I don't care what league you're playing in, that's an incredible accomplishment. You know, people are going to compare Russell Westbrook to Oscar Robertson for this fact, uh, you know, of the 181 games. And we know Westbrook will eventually, you know, break this and, and he'll have the record by himself. But, you know, when you compare both of these guys, they're very, very similar to even though they played in different eras because they both really carried their teams uh, and a lot, and both these guys were under scrutiny for maybe not winning, you know, championships. Now we know Oscar got one, you know, with the Bucks in '71, but you know Westbrook still hasn't done it. But I think a lot of people thought that that Oscar Robertson probably should have led his teams to more championships because let's face it, both these guys were the stars on not so good teams, and I don't know if that's fair or not. Um, give me your thoughts about these guys. Not only for their play on on the floor, but maybe in history being compared that way as well too. Well, you know, we, we have to make comparisons, but I think the stats. You look at the stats, and the stats will write a narrative, and then we follow the narrative and say, "Well, the stats are the stats." You know, that's what the analytics will say. But you know, when you break the game down, right? This game has been a game. The NBA game, in particular, has been a game that's been dominated by the bigs. Like Oscar Robertson played in an era where he had probably two of the most dominant players to ever play the game. We're talking about Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain. Let's just start there. So, anyone, and I think most people who play, coach the game, observe the game, will understand how difficult it is to be the very best player at the point guard position and be able to lead a team. You know, I can only think of one player in this NBA, you know, since 1946, where you've actually built a team around and he's been a point guard in his truest sense. And that's been Isaiah Thomas, who's won multiple titles as a smaller type guard. Now, you start talking about Magic Johnson, but Kareem was there. You know, but when you say a smaller guard where the team was built around him as the lead guard, I'm not talking about Steph Curry, who's basically a shooting guard disguised as a point guard. Isaiah Thomas is the only one. So the difficulty of what Oscar Robinson and what you're saying watching Russell Westbrook, it, it's 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 really impossible just for, just because of the way the game is being the game the way it was played back then and in particular the way the game is played now, right? Because you gotta have spacing, shooting, three point three point shots, so forth and so on. So you know I I, I think it, that's that that comparison really does the, the true test because when you're building a team, 
you've got to have a team, right? You just don't have one great player. You have to have a team. And I don't even care what position. You just have one great center without other great players. That center still needs guards and forwards and other people to participate. So I think it's very difficult. I think it's an unfair assessment of how great a player is, especially at that point guard position. All right, talking about a couple great guards with a great guard ourselves here today. B.J. Armstrong, former Chicago Bull, 12-year NBA vet, three-time champion, and all-star with the Bulls, T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank with you here on this Monday. You know, when I think of Oscar Robertson's, one of the things that um, I think of sometimes is the era that he played in, like you said, where it was dominated by the bigs, and, you know, there wasn't the three-point line and things that, that we have today. Uh, how do you think his game would equate today? Because he also played in an incredibly physical league, and I'm just wondering, with all the triple-doubles he had and everything, I'm trying to imagine him playing in a league where guys couldn't hand-check him, and he would go down the lane, and he wouldn't get knocked to the floor or something like that. I know a lot of times people don't like to compare errors, but it seems like, to me, that Oscar Robertson's game would have equated uh, in today's game just as well, if maybe not even better, because it would be less physical and he could even do more. I don't know if he had a three-point shot or not, but I'm sure that with his ability that he could probably develop almost anything. Well, some players transcend the areas it doesn't matter when they play. You know, when you start talking about Oscar Robertson, it didn't matter what year he was going to play. Oscar Robertson was a transcendent talent. You know, he was an exceptional talent. It didn't matter where he played. If he played in today's era, he would have been doing the same thing that he did in that era. Because he was that skilled, he was that magnificent of a player, let alone an athlete. You know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Will Clinton, Bill Russell, Michael Jordan, Julius Serving, Larry Bird, Magic. Some of the players just transcend doesn't really matter. Now, some players do benefit from the eras and the rules and the era in which they played in. And some players might have been, you know, they might have, preceded their era. You know, they might have been a better player when they, in today's era is when they, you know, probably when they played when the game was more physical. So, but those players, Oscar Robinson, it didn't matter. He was, he was going to be a triple-double now. He's going to be a triple-double triple double back then, and he'll be a triple-double in the future because he was that good. I mean, he's just a very, very skilled basketball player. And when you have the fundamentals like Oscar, you know, that, that just transcends. He wasn't just uh, a player with a, a one skill set. He, he mastered the game. He clearly mastered how to play the game, how to direct the game, how to set the tempo. He was what we would term a tempo setter. He set the tempo for the rest of the league, for the rest of the players. And ultimately, he was a guard that all the guards, no matter when you play this game, will be measured against because he was that great player himself. You know, BJ, you brought up Isaiah Thomas earlier, and great comparison, by the way. And a guy, obviously, that you know pretty well because you had some great battles, you know, with him, Isaiah and the Pistons, you and the Bulls, and, and other teams as well, too. Uh, talk a little bit about the matchups, like with uh, Isaiah, and uh, did you guys spend much time guarding each other? And I'd love to hear an Isaiah uh, story or two. And uh, we hear that the guy was a, a big time trash talker. Uh, give us something there. Well, I mean, everyone was a trash talker back in that area, right? <laughs> that, that was that was part of the courts. You know, if you right. didn't talk trash in that area, you probably didn't play in that area. That was that was like part of the game itself, right? Everyone was going to talk trash. Uh, the thing that I loved about the trash talking that happened in that area, it just came with a level of respect, right? And then, you know, pushing the envelope, trying to find a competitive edge, whether it was verbally, physically emotionally, that was part of the game. That was just part of 
you know, that we all expected anyone that competed in that era. So that was really no big deal. Isaiah was an exceptional player. And he was a smaller guy. And you remember, let's remember, in that era, the game was dominated by the bigs, right? You know, you didn't have small guys traditionally that organizations built a team around and said, this is, you know, are going to be our key player, our key, our key component, and then we're going to build from the perimeter out. You know, Isaiah Thomas was one. Now, they, they, the Pistons played a physical brand of, brand of basketball with their bigs, Bill and Bear, Rick Mahon, and Thomas Edwards, and John Sally, Dennis Robin, and those guys. But the, 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 the main player on their team, especially offensively, and defensively, the way he extended the defense was Isaiah Thomas. He was the engine there. He was the straw that stirred the drink. So, you know, he was a very competitive player. He was a great player. Uh, he was probably Allen Iverson before Allen Iverson because, you know, he could score in bunches like Allen Iverson, but he chose not to do that. He chose to, to run the team. He chose to play defense. He chose to do yeah, more of a real rock game. But truly, I feel that if, if you were to ask him to just go and score 30 points a night, he had the, the, the capabilities to do that as well. So, a great player, they had great teams up there, and uh, it was great to compete against them for many years. I know you mentioned the fact that uh, they played a physical game. I mean, they were called the bad boys for a reason. They wore it like a badge of honor. They didn't think that it was an insult or something like that. They did play by that intimidation factor. But when it came to the Bulls and that, it seemed like the Bulls, once they finally beat them, they felt like, okay, now we've arrived and now it's our time in that. How would Detroit play in today's game with all the whistles and everything else out there? Because there would have to be some major adjustments from the way that they played, and a lot of teams played back in that era, quite honestly. Well, you know, you're looking at the teams and having the opportunity to work in the front office uh, for many years, you learn that you build a team and you build a teams to take advantage of the rules of the game. And that Pistons team was built around the way the game was. Uh, played back then. It was a very physical game. There was hand-checking, like you mentioned. And the game was played at a much slower pace than it is today. Now, if you take that team, that Pistons team, and put them in today's era, they probably wouldn't fare well. Just like probably that Bulls team wouldn't fare well in today's era. Now, but if you put the best teams of today and put them in that era, they probably wouldn't fare well either because of the rules and the way the game was played back then. So, you got to look at the teams and say, you know what? The Pistons were a, a, a high-volume three-point shooting team. The Pistons were a team that probably would pay, would probably play pace and space. But then when you look at the Pistons, they had one of the highest score games. They played in one of the highest score games ever in the history of the NBA. I think it was like 186, 184 or something versus the Denver Nuggets. So the ability and the capability was there, but that's just the way the game was played back then. It was more defensive-oriented, all possession. The offenses were ran through more of a system, more so than isolation basketball. So it was a different time. But certainly they had players who could play in that area. You could put Dennis Rodman in any area. You could put Joe Dumas. You could put Isaiah Thomas. So uh, they would have figured it out. But certainly that team wasn't built for today's era and the way they play today. All right, uh, BJ Armstrong joins us. BJ, you're a uh, you're a pop culture uh, type of guy here. Uh, we get news uh, today that. Uh, uh, rapper J. Cole is going to be playing professional basketball in Africa. Uh, get, get, so give me some uh, thoughts on this here. We've uh, seen Master P tried to do this uh, years ago. Now J. Cole's trying to do it. You know, J. Cole did 
plays some college basketball. Actually, uh, I guess signed on to play at St. John's. Uh, you know, before, but then he decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to take take my music and before he even really played a D1 game, but played, uh, you know, in high school and played him uh, below that. But I guess, yeah, he was going to play at St. John's. Uh, I've seen some video of this guy, you know, you know stroking it from deep. Uh, you know anything about J. Cole's game? Yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's funny. So, uh, you know, I had preliminary conversations with Jay Cole and his team about potentially trying to work with him if he was going to try to come to the NBA. And, uh, look, I think what he's doing over in the, 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 the I think it's the ABL, the African Basketball right. League, right. I think it's brilliant. I think it's a genius move by him. And the reason being is the following. He gets an opportunity to take his music to a continent and introduce himself to a whole continent of people that may not be familiar with his music. So I think the move of going to the ABL was just simply a genius move by him. I think it's phenomenal that he's doing it. I think he's good enough to play in that league. And I think he will have an opportunity to see the next great player or players that will eventually make it here to the NBA and will all be J. Cole's hand. So I think it's a great business move for him. I think it's an opportunity for him to introduce his business on a new continent. I think it's an opportunity for him to establish those relationships and bring it back here to America. So I think it's a win-win situation for him. So J. Cole, again, is ahead of the game. Uh, I'm a huge fan of him, his music, his lyrics, his lyricism and what he brings to that space. But him going over to Africa to play, I just think is amazing. I mean, when you say out-of-the-box thinking, I think this is it. And uh, I'm rooting for him, and I can't wait. I think he has a project coming out here soon. So I think it's just a great business move all the way around by him and his team. When you hear people, especially in the media, taking shots at people for doing stuff like this, saying it's a publicity grab or this or that, like you said, um, to me, I don't see the the downside in it. It helps him promote his music, like you said, in a place where maybe it's not known. And any time that you bring basketball to more masses or bring up more exposure, isn't that a good thing for the game as well? I mean, for crying out loud, Yao Ming might not have been the greatest basketball player of all time, but look what he did over in Asia and China and other places, really opening up the game that much more. I mean, you know, when you can bring it to over a billion people, that's a, that's a win for the league, isn't it? Well, absolutely. When you look at all of these arenas, right, before the shutdown here, before coronavirus, before the pandemic, Every arena, whether it's high school, college, professional, what's the first thing you hear when you come to music? It's hip-hop music. That's what you hear. You're hearing the music in all of these arenas. You're hearing music on all of the commercials. All of the things that you hear, whether it's on TNT, ESPN, you know, DirecTV, whatever you hear, you, you always hear hip-hop music, right? So... The musicians, the hip-hop artists, they're connected. Our cultures are connected. You know, AI and Jadakiss and Chuck D and, you know, all of these artists, they're all connected into basketball and basketball connected to the hip-hop culture. So to me, this is just a natural fit. I don't see a disconnect here. I don't see, you know, when you go anywhere in the world, you're going to hear a hip-hop music. That's a fact. 
that's the most popular genre today. So hip hop music is everywhere. I just think it's a great love by him. I, I think it's a win I don't, I don't see a downside on this move. If anything, I think he will be a trailblazer in that regard because I can assure you, because I work with clients who are from that continent, and they all know hip hop music here. They know the lyrics, they know the musicians, they know the artists, male, female, whomever. They are connected with that culture. So I think it's great for him, and I, I really don't understand the criticism that he does. And probably because they're not hip hop fans. Yeah, and again, I really haven't heard too many people criticize him. I mean, the guy's 36, he's got a little game, and again, he's going back to play. No, it, and it's, like you said, great marketing there. And thank you very much for, for bringing a little bit of old school back when you threw Chuck D in there. When you're talking about some of those oh, artists, man. there you go. Now, if you really want to go some old school with that, you go ahead and bring some Curtis Blow and some Run DMC and some, and some oh, Sugar Hill Gang, okay? If you really want to go old school. Oh yeah, brother. And that's what I'm talking about. Okay. All right. <laughs> so who who give me uh, your idea of maybe the best celebrity that could maybe either have played or could play in the NBA. Like I mentioned, Master P earlier. Okay, you mentioned J. Cole. Uh, and, and, and as we kick a little message here, there we go. A little message behind BJ Armstrong. There you go. Let it flow there, BJ. Yeah, let me see. That's a good question. Uh, I'm sure it's someone I'm, I'm not off the top. But I can tell you, I was in Charlotte when Master P was there. Uh, I'm going to tell you, Master P did, he did himself well. And when I tell you, he competed at the highest level every single day. Because I didn't know what to expect. I did not know, you know, Master Pete Scott, Percy. You know, shout out to, uh, you know, Percy Miller, the Miller family. He's always doing big things, always had great ideas. But Master Pete was phenomenal in training camp. And I just remember how the fans took to him wherever we went and played in the preseason. I mean, it was great. I mean, we were selling out in Charlotte for all of our preseason games. <laughs> and I just remember he played very well, and he didn't have special treatment. And when I say he came to work every single day, he came to work. So, you know, if I just say somebody off the top based on what I've seen yeah. in a very competitive environment, Master P was definitely good enough to play in the NBA, and uh, he brought it, man. I, I, I love Uncle Ben, and to this day, we still remain friends. And, uh, you know, he, he every day he could be on full court, and he played hard every single day, and uh, you know I I thought he was good enough then, and he probably should have got an opportunity to play somewhere in the NBA. All right, and you know we've seen you know on NBA All Star Weekend we see uh, these celebrities that, that try to play, and some of them can, and some can't, and you just uh, you just wonder. And a lot of times, you know, th- there are guys that. Uh, you know, that people feel, oh, maybe, maybe they could give it a little run, you know, in, in the NBA, maybe make a roster. So, no, just, yeah, a little curiosity there. If, uh, yeah, that's why you say that I can, I can rap, you know what I mean? Like, I, I always try to respect the profession, you know what right. I mean? When I listen to Paul, you know, when I listen to these guys, they make it look so easy. And, uh, you know, playing in the NBA game, it, 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 it's tough. Those guys are incredibly, incredibly gifted. And, um, you know, you're watching LeBron James or Kevin Durant or James Harden, 
type movie, you know, it's one thing to watch on television, but when you're out there playing against these guys, you really have a respect for how good they really are. So I always like to respect the professionals and say, you know, you know, when I'm sitting at home and shower, I, 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 I think I can run like that. I think I can rap like Run D and C and them guys, but those guys are professionals. That's why I'm at home and those guys are doing for, uh, for their jobs. So, uh, you know, much respect to, to both of those, uh, those professionals. Uh, I mean, come on, you're teasing us now. BJ's got to drop a rhyme right now as we head out. Come on, man. Go, drop a rhyme. Can you, can you rap as good as Shaq? Yeah. Oh, man, you know what? I, you know, you know, I, 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 let me say this. So I, I, I've been a fan of the profession for a long time. You know, I've been a fan of the profession. You know, I, I just try to stay in my lane. I stay in my lane. <laughs> Uh, all right, my man. Hey, we'll uh, we'll get you back on here next week, man, and, and let's talk about this uh, this play in tournament. I, I would definitely want to get your thoughts because we'll be approaching that next week as well, too. All right. Appreciate you guys. Hey, guys, take care. Stay safe. Appreciate you, man. There he is, BJ Armstrong, three time NBA champ, of course, with the Bulls, twelve years in the league, former All Star, uh, one of the great guards, ball handlers, shooters, you name it. There you go. All right, we come back. We'll talk about Kentucky Derby drama. Mm, that and a whole lot more. Plus, hit some more Golden Knights as they get ready to take on the Colorado Avalanche tonight. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank on a Monday. Fakes the handoff. He drives the lane. He takes it to the house. Bouncing off defenders. He just laid it in. He just put it up and in. 56 seconds to play. Oh, by the way. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Game seven is over. It's an instant classic. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A three for the game. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. You've got to pinch me. The doctor is now in. Hour number two on this Monday. I want to thank B.J. Armstrong for joining us, former Chicago Bull. Talk a little NBA. We'll be hitting a lot more NBA this week with the big seven-footer and Tracy Murray. And as we get ready for the play-in tournament. Still not a fan of this. Play-in? Exactly. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. Hey, Golden. by the way, made it out to the ballpark uh, this weekend. You did? Friday night, yeah, right? Friday night. Great time once again. It was great uh, getting back out there, seeing Jim Jim and the crew up there. And, uh, yeah, ni- nice seeing baseball again at Las Vegas Ballpark. All right. So I know that the uh, – River Cats defeated the Aviators in the first two games on Thursday and Friday, and then the Aviators uh, paid it back on, on Saturday, yeah, Sunday. Yeah, came back with a couple of right. from behind victories. So I was going to ask you, because you were at the game on Friday night, and I saw the stories where the fans had some problems with their with their seats. They had, like, skin rashes and that kind of stuff. And I know the Aviators, they worked kind of around the clock to, like, you know, to find out what the, the problem was. Were you aware of any of that when you were there that I night? was not aware of it until you just said it now. So okay, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a pretty big story uh, over the weekend, and they were working to, uh, you know, some, uh, some people, uh, actually more than, than, than one or two. It was, I don't want to say many, but several people, I guess, uh, when they went home, they had some, uh, some problems with the skin. So the, avi- the aviators were saying that they don't believe that it was in the chemicals, of uh, of of wiping them down because they've been doing all that sort of thing, but 
they couldn't uh, pinpoint it. And they said that they were going to uh, look more into this and find out. And a lot of fans were saying, hey, we don't really want to have to come to the ballpark if we've got to wear, you know, jeans and long sleeve shirts and, and right. pants because, uh, you know, it's heating up right now. But, um, yeah, yeah. That would, uh, so hopefully they, they rectify that. And I know I've sat in those seats before, and they are a little bit different because – they, they're they're kind of cushiony, but they're thin. They're kind of like wiry yeah, it's and like fiberglass. A, it's almost like you're sitting on a mesh type thing, right? Or yeah, and I think yeah, it's made so. out of fiberglass. So yeah. um, I know that the aviator said, "Hey, we didn't know that we were going to have any issues, but we're looking into it." Yeah. So how, how how was the food? Did I didn't you dive eat, into it? I did not eat there. I, th- I told you I eat before I go to the ballpark. I know. I've just always done that. You got to dive into have something. You could have went up to the the press box and. Had Jim Gemma give you a you know a hot dog? Or when something I like went that. to the press box, all that was left was a couple of cookies, and I grabbed, <laughs> all I did was I grabbed the water on the way out. Okay, so at least the water was good, right? It was it was it was cold and it was wet. So you, yeah. pa- you passed up the cookie? Yeah, didn't ha- yeah didn't didn't go for one. Yeah, all right. No, I really just went up there to see Jim and say hi to a couple of people in that, and then mm-hmm. I walked around because I had a couple of friends that went to the game mm-hmm. that night. So so how'd the ballpark look as far as looked right? Y- and you know we talked about um, you know with Don Logan last week. About the vendors that were going to be there, did all the food options look the same? It, it looked pretty much the same. Like I say, I don't check it out as much as a lot of people mm-hmm. do. It, it, I mean, all the stands were open in that. The one thing I did notice that some people didn't like, but I assumed it was going to be that way, was you know you don't you can't just go up and refill your sodas all the time like you used okay. to because just like you can't at uh, convenience stores or any place else out there right now because of uh, the COVID issues and everything else out there. So so yeah, I mean you you can get a soda. Or a beer or whatever, but you're not going to be able to just go up and get the refills because that's just not the world we're living in at this moment. So, just so you know, and I didn't even think about this until you said it, but I guess it'd be breaking news. Because, as you know, you know, Freddy's has, has reopened. Yes. And I was able to fill up my soda there. So they, they do let you do it uh, there. Okay. So that's that's good to know. And I didn't even think twice about it because I just did it naturally and other people were doing it when I went in on Saturday. And, uh, yeah, so I guess we are back to normal with that. And maybe that'll be that way again at Cashman. Uh, I think Cashman. Yeah. Look at me. The new right. Las Vegas ballpark. Yeah. Maybe it'll be that way soon, but it wasn't on Friday. Right. And that's very unusual anyway. I mean, very few ballparks oh, have sure. that amenity. Oh, for sure, yeah. You know, I know that. Um, I think there's one other ballpark that I, I think it was Washington, yeah. The, the Nats Park, they had that option that where you could do that. And those are the only two parks I've ever been in. You know, at Las Vegas Ballpark and Nats Park. Yeah, I've never seen it before because they want to keep on selling you more sodas. Of course. They don't want to, okay, this one's a little bit overpriced, but if you refill it a few times, it's not. Mm. Las Vegas Ballpark, Coca-Cola, or Pepsi? No, it's Pepsi. Yeah, that's what I thought. See? So that's why you wouldn't go refill it anyway. The reason I had a water. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Pepsi's so good, though. Uh, Coca-Cola, you should be very happy. Saw this story over the weekend. Of course, I thought of, of you. That uh, Coca-Cola is the highest-grossing beverage in the world and has been for quite some time uh, just destroying Pepsi and everybody else. As so, it should be. As it, <laughs> just, you just said, as it should be. You know, they're, like, they're, they're number one. It's like no breaking news to Frank. They're, yeah. they're number one, and everybody else tastes like number two. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> oh, yeah, I thought you work for Coca-Cola. But, yeah, they... they I, when, I, when I first... Billions. I, and I know we have a guest waiting on the phone yeah. here, but as I think I told you before, that when I first moved out here in 1988, when I was a cook, I was still a cook, 
I turned down two jobs because the casinos that I applied at had Pepsi and not Coke. <laughs> I had $300 in my pocket when I moved out here. Didn't I was living in a weekly place, and I literally turned down work because they were Pepsi houses. You, are you crazy? I, most is, people thought I was crazy. Yes, I think you are. But you dedicated to your... Uh... To your beverage, my friend. But I I've found ne- a job in, 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 in a place that served Coke, and I did just this fine. This guy that walks around with bottles of Coke. That's it. Have you ever th- thought of, of applying to Coca-Cola? You'd be the perfect candidate. I've always been afraid of doing that because it would be like the alcoholic that's a bartender. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. So you have thought about it, though? I've thought about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I've thought oh, about no. it. When I've driven by, like, Coke warehouses and that, yeah. I'm like, hmm. We'll give you a wow. letter of recommendation. There. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, that's definitely. You know. Although no, when I worked in a, when I was a cook and then I worked in a restaurant, I mean, I, I didn't pig out on food. No. I just ate the good no, stuff. But let's just squash <laughs> this right now. I mean, as much Coke as you drink right now, you couldn't increase. So if you went to work for the company, you, you wouldn't be drinking anymore because that can't be. You already do. Oh, trust me. I used to drink a lot more than I do now. <laughs> I only drink about a six pack a day. These a days. six pack a day. <laughs> I used to drink a case a day. Right. <laughs> okay. When, when, the, when the Coke came in the 16-ounce bottles, I had four bottles of Coke for breakfast before I went to school. This is before true story. Before I went to school. And this... then would get a 72-ounce Big Gulp mm. on my way to class. That's you how I started almost every day mm. for like five or six years. How about the old 7-Elevens with the Coca-Cola uh, slushy, the uh, Slurpee? I was never a big fan the of cola the Cola Slurpee? I wasn't a big fan of it. But it was actually cola. Yeah, I know, but I know. I, I prefer just regular Coke. Okay. And I usually put very little ice in it because I don't like Coke, my, yeah. my Coke water done. I understand. I don't like go. people cutting my Coke. I understand that. <laughs> what's, what's every last <laughs> sweet drop? All right, let's talk a little horse racing. Our good friend Marco D'Angelo from Wager Talk, of course, horse owner himself. Uh, the story broke over the weekend. Medina Spirits victory in the Derby in Jeopardy, a failed post-race drug test. Bob Baffert suspended. Uh, more bad news on the way for for this sport that has just had to deal with all kinds of bad news. And uh, Marco, uh, how you doing, my friend? Well, definitely was a different Sunday to wake up. I had all kinds of texts when I woke up Sunday morning and checking out Twitter in time to catch the live uh, press conference from Bob Baffert. And, yeah, it's a black eye for the sport. There's no question about it. And listening to Bob uh, deny, 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 uh, you know, I, I can tell you that when I watched the press conference, And as adamantly as he was saying and going out of his way to say this horse did not get betamethasone, it just hit me as, no, I don't think the horse did, but I think the horse got a different drug, and that's why you're so adamant. And oftentimes uh, drug tests can, uh, you know, they bring back something that's cloudy, and there are different drugs that are very similar in molecular uh, makeup, and there's one drug that is very, very close to betamethasone, and that is dexamethasone, and they have a lot of the same attributes of what they uh, affect on a horse or even human beings being used, and the two big things that would help a horse on both of those drugs are they are used uh, as an anti-inflammatory in rheumatoid arthritis, which, obviously, if you've got aches and pains in the joints and so forth, if you take that pain away, you're going to feel better and race better. The other advantage that those drugs have 
is with breathing. Uh, they are used for asthma, allergies. It helps uh, dilate the uh, the lungs, uh, increasing air capacity. And we know that, obviously, if you can breathe better, you can run better. So those are the things that are happening with Bob Baffert, and he's uh, challenged it. He wants a, you know, a second uh, sample split, and uh, that creates a problem for Pimlico. What do they do with Medina Spirit? Do they allow the horse to race, or do they take the chance uh, of not letting the horse race, and he's cleared on the second sample, which would not be back in time, uh, and risk then being sued by the owners because they didn't let the horse race. So Baffert denied all wrongdoing and promised to be fully transparent with the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission during the investigation. Uh, the barn received word Saturday that Medina Spirit had tested positive for an excessive uh, amount of that steroid, which is sometimes used to treat pain and inflammation in horses, like you said, Marco. But here's the comment that I really liked. Here's the quote from Bob Baffert. He claims that a, that a man taking cough medicine peed on the hay in Medina Spirit's stall, and the horse ate the hay, causing a positive test. Uh, <laughs> I can't say what I want to say. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> uh, we'd get uh, you know, bleeped out, but yeah, we're, I'm calling BS there. Um, Bob, you got to come up with better, better stuff. That's the equivalent of a kid saying, uh, "My dog ate my homework." Come on, uh, you can't, you can't uh, get that much of uh, from a sample that way. One because as it's coming out of uh, that gentleman uh, that had the urge to go in the stall. Um, it's also being filtered through, you know, his own system. It's being filtered through his liver and kidney on the way out, and then for it to get into the hay and then to be eaten. Um, you know, I was a little sarcastic today, but I tweeted a response to that statement saying, you know, if they ever tested one of my horses after a race, if I, you know, took a leak in the stall, the horse would uh, test positive for performance in handing uh, enhancing chicken wing sauce. There you go. I mean, Marco, I mean, you're a guy uh, that uh, hanging out in the barns and all this stuff. I mean, guys are they're back there just whipping it out and peeing on the hay? What's going on there? Uh, you know, the, well, the barns are Churchill Downs. I can't be buying this, Bob Baffert. Well, I can tell you somebody that, you know, has you know, had a few encounters in the, the back of a stall. Um, you know, the bathrooms are not right in the barns. you got to go somewhere to them. And, you know, wow. you're in a barn, you're there with the horse, and, you know, he doesn't mind. Yeah, that that is a common occurrence for, for uh, uh, you know, what he did. Uh, you will make the walk if you have to do the other, that's for sure. Well, this guy was a <laughs> groomer, it sounds like, we're hearing now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's, that's and good. it. Uh, you know, they take care of the horse, and they're in there, and you know, you're you're working. You don't want to, you know, stop and walk to the the restroom that might be a few minutes away from the barn. And yeah, that does happen, but it's not going to. You're not going to get a positive from that. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I. You got to be able to come up with something better than that, Bob. I'm just waiting for Frank to come up with a witty one-liner here. No, I'm just thinking, as a groomer, what does he do? Watch something about Mary or something like that before he grooms the horses? I mean, <laughs> what's he using to wash them down with? I mean, that's just that's just wrong on every level out there. Baffert also went on to say that he thinks it might have something to do with the cancel culture we live in today because people are making a lot of noise about different things out there. I thought I read and heard someplace, too, that doesn't Baffert, this is like the fifth time this year that he's had a problem with horses and these drugs? Since 2020, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, Bob's had, you know, had some issues, and, you know, so now he's crying foul that, you know, they're, they're crucifying him for, you know, past infractions. And, well, you know what, there's a solution to that. Don't have past infractions, and you don't have to be, uh, you know, guilty as charged. I mean, obviously, you know, it's, you know, whenever police are investigating somebody, if somebody has a rap sheet and has, you know, uh, you know, domestic violence on there or, you know, uh, writing bad checks, whatever it might be, and they're investigating something concerning that same topic, yeah, that person's going to be a suspect, and you're going to presume that that person's guilty because of their past. And, you know, Bob has painted this, and it's sad that it is um, on the biggest stage. And, there's, and like I said, it creates ramifications because – Another decision that had to be made, and Brad Cox already said he's not sending Mandaloon, if Medina Spirit is indeed disqualified from the Kentucky Derby, that makes Mandaloon the winner. Mandaloon, Brad Cox said after the Derby that he was skipping the Preakness. Now you would have a horse that had a shot for the Triple Crown if he is deemed the winner by disqualification, and he's not going to the Preakness. And unless Brad Cox makes a last-minute, you know, change of mind and goes, they push the draw date back a day uh, so everybody could figure out what they're going to do. But, you know, there's ramifications all the way down the line. No doubt. Marco D'Angelo joins us and talking about this uh, breaking news over the weekend and Medina Spirit's victory in the Derby in Jeopardy due to a failed post-race drug test. And I want to get back to... Uh, Mandaloon here in a minute, but let's finish up here on Bob Baffert. I mean, this is a guy, in, in, like Frank mentioned, five times since May of 2020, he has had horses tested positive. And if you go back, I believe he has 29 horses. Marco, talk to me about Bob Baffert. People talk about a great trainer. We talk about uh, him being a Hall of Famer. What's this guy like here? And again, in the horse racing industries with owners and stuff, I mean, how is this guy viewed? Well, Here's the problem and why this makes it so complicated involving a Bob Baffert. If this would have been a no-name trainer and would have had this many offenses, um, the guy would have been out of racing, okay? Um, They would have made an example of him and sent him out. There was a guy um, last year that was banned uh, from uh, Santa Anita and Del Mar, uh, Jerry Hollendorfer, um, you know, they made an example out of him, and uh, because he's not the name brand Bob Baffert. Bob Baffert, for everything that is going on bad right now with Bob Baffert, he has been the complete opposite as far as a PR guy for the sport of racing, because you know he was a very likable guy. He's charismatic. He does all of the interviews. He you know promotes the sport very well. So if one of your big guns, you know, has a problem, you're a little bit slower, I hate to say it, but of, you know, reprimanding him because it is such a big black eye for the sport. And that's why, you know, maybe he's gotten, you know, a slap on the wrist where somebody else would have been suspended for 45 days instead of, you know, a, a small fine and, you know, purse read, you know, distribution you know on an overnight uh race a a normal race if this happens and you get a positive and they you know resend the the purse structure out you know your horse is disqualified that's not a big deal here we're talking about a three million dollar purse which the winning share is over 1.8 million dollars 
Um, that guy has already been paid. Now he's got to return that money and, you know, and see and wait for the decision from uh, the Kentucky Racing Association. And it, it's a nightmare. Uh, and if one of your big guns goes down, uh, you're going to have everybody crying, you know, that this is a sport, you know, that needs cleaned up. It does. There's no question about it. But when your top, most visible guy is the guy that's, you know, giving you the black eye, you're in trouble as a sport. And believe me, as a guy that's heavily invested in this sport, it concerns me. Well, and, and, you know, you mentioned Hollendorfer maybe not being Bob Baffert, but certainly well-known on the West Coast. So, you know, he was a named trainer, certainly, that if you go to the track out here, Santa Anita, Del Mar, all those racetracks, you know him pretty well. But with Baffert, the one thing uh, I had also heard and read that, you know, that it looks like he's been suspended from Churchill Downs. Does that really affect him? Because when you have the stables he have and you run horses all over the country, okay, if I can't run there, don't you just move your barn to Oak Lawn or some other park or something like that? Is that is that one of those fines or suspensions to just look good on paper that really doesn't even mean that much to him necessarily? At this point of the season, you're correct. It, it, it's not a big deal affecting him. Um, where it would affect is if when Churchill had a big stake race that he had a horse that would have been eligible to and now can't race there, that's where it would affect him. But the trickle-down effect is this puts, like I said, Pimlico's in a bad spot. What do you do? Do you follow suit and not accept the entry of Medina Spirit and risk Baffert, as he has done so many times, win in appeal and then open yourself up to the owners of Medina Spirit, come back and sue you for, you know, wrongful decision there, preventing your horse a chance at the Triple Crown. It is a tough position for Pimlico. That's who I feel the worst for right now, is what does Pimlico do? Because whatever they do, they're going to get people from both sides screaming. If they let the horse race, they're saying you're letting a crook race. If you... Don't let him race, and then he wins. Now you're looking at a possible major lawsuit. So it's not a position that I would want to be in being the governing body of Pimlico. So the statement from Churchill Downs officials here it read like this. Uh, to be clear, if the findings are upheld, Medina Spirit's results in the Kentucky Derby will be invalidated, and Mandaloon will be declared the winner. You mentioned, Marco, that... Mandaloon was not going to race in, in the Preakness. At this point in time, if everything is pointing to that 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 uh, Medina Spirit could be taken down here, don't you have to do everything you can if you're Mandaloon's uh, trainers and on owners and, and handlers of getting that horse to the Preakness? Because like you said, he could be a live shot to win the Triple Crown. He could, but here's where the problem is, and I can't speak for what they've been doing with Mandaloon. If I was on the Kentucky Derby Trail and you, you raced all those hard races leading up to it, and the Derby was over, and you made the decision not to go to the Preakness, and remember, the Preakness is the shortest turnaround. It's just two weeks in between races. If I wasn't going to that race and we were pointing to something later in the season, um, where the horse had plenty of time. What I would have done, the horse would have stood on Sunday, 
my trainer would have lightly jogged the horse on Monday just to make sure the horse came out of the race fine, no ailments, and then we would have turned the horse out for a week uh, or two weeks to freshen up and then bring the horse back into training. If that horse was turned out all week and not being trained, jogged, getting him ready in a week would be tough uh, to go what he would have to do. Um, And this would not have come to light until the rumblings came out late Saturday night that there was rumors and it was officially announced Sunday morning. So now you've got six days to get a horse ready for a big race. That's asking a lot. So let me ask you this. I mean, this is, I think, again, for the people who don't follow horse racing or just hearing this news, I mean, the 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 race, we're getting this result back from a, a positive test. Uh, when do they take the test? I mean, the Derby was a week ago Saturday. I imagine it was post-race, right? Why did it take so long to get these results a full seven days? That's a good question, TC. What they do is... At least I can tell you the places that I, you know, where are the tracks I race at. They take the sample. There's usually two samples, blood sample and a urine sample. They will split those so that if there is something on the first test, they still have uh, another sample to do the appeal with. They send it off to a lab that does these results. Now, again, I don't know how busy that lab is, and don't forget that you have races every single day, so you've got multiple races, multiple horses that got tested. Uh, They can pull blood on any horse they want in a race, even a horse that didn't hit the board. If they thought possibly there was something uh, given to a horse to make a horse not perform well, they can even test the horse. But here is the thing about testing, and it's why I made the statement at the beginning about two drugs that are very similar in their makeup. When they do a blood test, the uh, people think, oh, they do a blood test, it's one test, and it finds what's ever in the blood. That is completely false. The only thing they can find in the blood is if they are looking specifically for that drug. The blood test will only confirm that that drug is in the blood. So they have to know what they're looking for. They can't check for a thousand different drugs that possibly could be used. And that's where the problem's at is the barns that are so-called, you know, got the reputation of being, you know, chemical trainers. Um, they're staying on top of this stuff. There's new stuff. There's synthetic stuff. There's different things. And if they're not testing for that precise drug, they're not going to find it. They might find something cloudy in the sample, and then they'll do a second test trying to pinpoint it. But that's why it takes the time that it takes. And that's, again, going back to the first thing he said. He was so completely adamant about that the horse did not get and has never had betamethasone. But I'll bet you, I'll bet you it's had dexamethasone. Well, and it's interesting, too, because it almost sounds, sounds like horse racing's version of Belco and the steroid issues and everything that baseball went through a long time ago, that one's always trying to stay uh, one step ahead of the other one for the new test coming down the line and everything else. But you mentioned the fact that there's two samples taken. In a race as big as the Kentucky Derby, and I know you said there's races every day, if they have both samples there and the first one came up like this, 
why wouldn't they just immediately test the second one right away instead of leaving this even open-door possibility of, well, yeah, we're going to say this one's positive, and then we know Baffert's going to want to test the second one. Why wouldn't they just get, get that done right away so that you, you could take a little bit of suspicion away and say, look, both samples are dirty, so he's guilty, or the second one came back clean, so it's you know we can't really determine it? It's for the supposed integrity of the system. Baffert has to request the appeal, and that sample be the second sample be used. You know that you know again. If they do it on their own, then you get the conspiracy theorists that somebody is tainting the product. Um, that's why, and a lot of times, the second sample might even be done uh, by a different lab at some point. They, you know. It, it gets into the legal battle, and we're talking about this will be the first time that we're dealing with a Kentucky Derby at stake. Now, we had a disqualification in the Kentucky Derby a couple of years ago, but that was for something totally different. That was for race interference, and, you know, they battled a long time, you know, in the outfit that got put down was battling trying to be reinstated. They lost all of their appeals. This is going to be the same type of situation, only it's going to be for drugs instead of, you know, race interference. All right, Marco. Great stuff as always, my friend. Uh, always uh, something to talk about here, uh, you know, during the course of the Triple Crown. We didn't expect to, to be talking about this, but definitely a story. We'll be watching in the next couple of days and see what happens if uh, Medina Spirit's victory uh, over Mandaloon in the Kentucky Derby gets uh, you know, invalidated, and uh, we'll see what happens uh, as we move forward here. Preakness coming up here uh, a week from Saturday. And a potentially really bad beat if you had Mandaloon to win the damn thing or in some exotics or Tell something. Tell me about it. And, and that's another bad thing, right? I mean, we're going to talk to Matt Holt about that here in, in, in a couple minutes from, from the betting side. But, wow, I mean, you got, you got to feel bad about that. And that, yes, that's uh, that's a bad beat that doesn't get corrected with the the re uh, the restructuring. <laughs> Does not get corrected exactly. All right, brother. Uh, appreciate you as always. Uh, we'll talk to you very very soon. All right. See you guys. Appreciate it. Marco D'Angelo, our horse racing guru. And uh, does a fantastic job at Wager Talk as well, too, covering all sports. Go to wagertalk.com and check out uh, Marco D'Angelo. And again, we love having him on him and Double B uh, regarding anything uh, horse racing. So, yeah, crazy story. I, I always hate stories like this because I'm a big horse racing fan. And anything that gives the sport a black eye, it's just not... Because there's so much suspicion in a lot of people's yeah. mind, whether right or wrong already about it. And then when you have somebody of Bob Baffert's ilk and his knowledge and other horses all across the country and that, it, it's just it's just not a good look for the industry. Right. Not a good look uh, at all. Speaking of not a good look, uh, give you some breaking news. And uh, you and I were just talking about this uh, you know, you know, during the break. Uh, Las Vegas Aces' Angel McCautry has sustained a a serious injury in the exhibition game against uh, the Sparks. You know, there was no television coverage, no coverage uh, at all. I saw some team highlights that they that they sent from the first half, and I know that uh, so we didn't see any of this video at all, but um, uh, she got injured two minutes into the game and where she had to leave, and she sustained a right ACL injury. She will be out for the remainder of the year. A uh, very crushing blow to the Las Vegas Aces. Angel McCautry uh, released this statement just a little while ago. She said, uh, "During this is her words here. During the last game, I had an accident on the court. 
eerie similar to what happened to me the first time. And when she's referring to the first time, when she was with the Atlanta Dream, they were playing the Aces two seasons ago. It was towards the end of the season. And against the Aces, she sustained the same injury. And then this exact same thing happened again in the opening minutes of this exhibition game against the Sparks on Saturday. She goes, the, uh, my results came back as a torn ACL, torn meniscus. I was heartbroken again. Initially, every negative thought came to my head. Then I realized this game has been such a blessing to me, and so has God. I will conquer the challenge even better than last time. I will recover and fight my way back to the court. I still have tons of basketball to play. God has always delivered for me. It's not over yet. Thank you to all my amazing teammates, the Las Vegas Aces organization, for being so supportive. Let's go, Aces. That's Angel McCautry. The Las Vegas Aces will be out for the season. And again, um, just coming down with a rebound two minutes into this game, just, again, one of these unfortunate injuries. And every time we, we see these things and talk about these things, I mean, we saw with Kevin Durant, with Clay Thompson, um, you know, Angel McCautry twice now. These are just devastating injuries that usually happen on just normal things that well, take place in a game. And, and that's the crazy thing about it. Just like how many times in football do we see the guy that, you know, the non-contact injury or something like that and you tear something or, you know, it's sometimes the biggest hits and those kind of things don't do anything. But, you know, it also shows how fragile, as incredible as the human body is and how it's put together in that. You know, you land a little bit wrong here or there, and it's not even necessarily landed on somebody else's foot or ankle that you get twisted. You just land wrong sometimes, and a lot of things can go wrong. It's actually kind of almost strange in a good way that it doesn't happen more often. Because when you do see it happen, you're like, well, that didn't look that bad. It doesn't have to look that bad for it to be that bad. Right. So, uh, yeah, thoughts and prayers going with Angel McCautry and uh, just uh, a fantastic lady. A lot of um, people here in Vegas haven't got a chance to to see her or meet her. And, you know, we talked to her a couple times last year when they were in Florida because that was her first season with the Aces. And she was just really dying to, to play in front of the home crowd here um, at the Mandalay Bay. And I know fans really were looking forward to seeing her up close and personal because she's just one of the league veterans uh, and a fantastic player, and now you'll you'll see her at the Mandalay Bay, but she, you know she'll uh, she'll be on the sidelines uh, rooting the team on. So unfortunate. All right, we come back. Matthew Holt will join us. So uh, we'll get Matt's take regarding this story in the Kentucky Derby with Medina Spirits' victory in jeopardy. Now, from a, a betting standpoint, because we know that a lot of people would love to be able to cash tickets uh, if Mandaloon, who finished second in the Kentucky Derby, was pushed up, but that is not the case. But we'll get all those details from Matt and a whole lot more coming your way. Back to more nonstop sports talk with the Dr. T.C. Martin. Don't forget, get involved in the William Hill mobile app. So easy to use and so easy to download. That's where it all starts for you. Download the mobile app and then make a deposit of at least $50 into a brand new account. Use the promo code TC50. Take advantage of that $50 free dollars in your account. They'll match it with an additional $50. Take advantage and use it. Major League Baseball, the NBA playoffs, NHL, Stanley Cup playoffs, all coming your way. The William Hill mobile app. Use that promo code TC50. And also, speaking of promo codes, get involved at rvdcbd.com. Go to Rob Van Dam's website for all of your cannabis needs. Yes, whether it's the... 
uh, creams, the tinctures, the smokables, edibles. It's all there for you. But, yes, uh, whether it's joint pain, relax, relaxation mode, whatever it takes, rvdcbd.com. Use the promo code TCRVD for a 21% discount off of anything on the website. That's TCRVD. Go to the website at rvdcbd.com. It's a lot of initials there. Yeah, plus I found that interesting the way that you said CBD and then you emphasized joint yes. pain right after I, it. Because so. <laughs> you that were, was not cause, by... Because you oh, were rolling bro, in your promo. Hey, bro. <laughs> yes. Let it up. It's funny how you point out things that you think that I, I did, and I actually didn't do no, that. No, no, I didn't but say you funny. did. I said no, subliminally. I so, so, to exactly. me, subliminally, yes. It was. And it was no, yeah. I noticed it. Yeah, that weird. Because my mind works different. Yeah. <laughs> I hear things. A lot of the I didn't think are, I did, but now when I replay it back in my mind. No, no, I you did. said yeah. joint. You definitely said joint. No, I know emphasis. I said it, but I didn't know I emphasized it. Oh, no, you did. did. Yeah. yeah. No, you did. Yeah. I'm not saying it was my a bad thing. My mind doesn't work like that. I'm just, yeah, my mind does. Would it surprise you if I told you I've never smoked a joint? Never had a joint in my life. Not really. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me necessarily. Because really? people people find people find that uh, very odd. My my brother John never. Is, my brother John never. has never done anything like yeah, that never. whatsoever. Yeah. When so. when it was so fashionable and when all my friends did it and everything and, and today it's I mean again, you know, being around R V D all the time. No, just no. always said no, oh, never so, did it. Some of my old friends back in Illinois and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I was in cars with so many roach clips and that under the seats and that kind of right? stuff. I yeah. I was always wondering when we were gonna just ignite yeah. and catch on fire. See, for me, it was one of those things where it was the athlete in me that I was just so concerned about my body and what I put in when I was a young kid like that. And even though I had people around me doing it, I always just said no because I just viewed it as that. And I just, after a while, just, yeah, yeah that's it. You said no to it like it was a cowboy inviting you to dinner or something, yeah. huh? It's <laughs> exactly what I did. <laughs> exactly. The, there's a story there, and I know you're digging because you want me to tell the story because I talked to you off air about I, it. I just throw out an innocent little yeah. analogy. Yeah. A cow. <laughs> uh, Matt's, Matt's on the line here. I'm sure Matt doesn't want to hear that story. Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity. What's going on, my man? Man, I don't know. What's going, what's going on with you guys? <laughs> okay. No, nothing uh, with me. I wasn't there. Okay, fine. I'll tell the story. So here we go, Matt. So I go out, uh, and I want to watch the Canelo fight. Uh, on, on Saturday night, right? So I go to one of our favorite establishments, uh, especially Frank's favorite establishment, to go watch the fight. And uh, as I'm uh, uh, rolling out of the establishment, this guy comes up to me. He's about, I'm guessing he's in his 70s, I'm thinking. And maybe he wasn't that old. He just had a lot of wear and tear on him because, you know, smoking cigarettes and this and that. Guy weighed like about 150 pounds. He had this cowboy hat on. Life of a rancher can be tough. Life of a rancher. He looked like a rancher. So I called him the cowboy. And he had the boots. He had the old getup on. Didn't smell too good. And he comes up to me, Matt. And he says, come have dinner with me. Come on inside and have dinner with me. (laughs) And I just looked at him and go, go head on, cowboy. And then he starts going to this dissertation about... Having invested some money or something in Las Vegas or whatever, and this guy was definitely either high as a kite or he was just, uh, he's looped up. I don't know what the story was. And then he starts to reach out to me. He says, come on, have dinner with me, please. He said he put his arm around you. Put his arm around (laughs) me and wanted to lead me into the establishment to buy me dinner. 
And at that point in time, I just looked at him and said, go have a good time, cowboy. And uh, off I went, and off he went to the wild blue yonder. Here we go, Matt. There's your story. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Now, Frank thinks I should have, you know, I should have went for the free dinner. No, no I don't. No. I, you you never heard me say that. Do not put words in my mouth. I did not tell you to cowboy off. <laughs> now, Numbshuck thought like I should have just rolled the guy. So, you know, there you go. Anyway, uh, there's your cowboy story. You should have done a shot of Medina Spirit with him. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I got. I, I got to admit, I was tempted. I mean, anybody says free meal when we, and I was hungry because I haven't eaten the day, at that point in time. So I was. I was rather hungry. So I, I thought about it, but I said, nah. I don't know what could happen here. Could go south. Yeah. You, you were looking forward to a potential meal, but were afraid of the dessert. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> All right, Matt. Let's get to some, let's get to some uh, some counter talk here, man. So obviously, we've been talking about the story. With Medina Spirits, a victory in the Derby in Jeopardy, a failed post-race uh, drug test. Uh, just talked to Marco D'Angelo uh, uh, about this. You know, from the betting side, man, we know there is no recourse to these type of things because people that had tickets on Mandaloon, I mean, they're saying, wow, wait a minute, you know, we could be declared a winner, and we'll find out here in the next day or two that you know, Churchill Downs, they could be reversing this and making Mandaloon the winner. But from a betting standpoint, especially in a sport that really is all centered around betting, it doesn't do you any good if you have a ticket on Mandaloon. No, and, and look, horse racing, they just can't get out of their own way. There's, I mean, the sport is so corrupt. And at the end of the day, I don't really think anything's going to happen here. I mean, Bob Baffert's had, what, four horses test positive after grade one wins this year, including an Arkansas Derby winner. Uh, and he gets out of all of them, tainted, you know, contaminated to samples, whatever it is. He's never really got anything except small fines for this. Um, and I don't really expect anything here. I just think at the end of the day, horse racing, uh, we talked about the aging crowd. We talked about it doesn't attract young people. It's always how it had a cloud and history of, of corruption around it. And I think it's just some of that corruption starting to come to light. Okay, but if the horse tested positive, which they said for an excessive amount of the steroid, then why okay we have inquiries in in horse racing you know down the stretch the bumping you know ill will whatever happens you know with the jockeys and everything and they get taken down okay if the test does come back positive why, why can't you just say okay that, that's it and especially i think you have to take in the consideration of the history here and i understand baffert is a big name in this he's a hall of famer but like you said repeated offender over and over if anyone is ever going to take this sport seriously again don't you have to kind of make a statement but the, again it, it is a positive test why is it so difficult at the end of the day, I don't think changing the winner of this race does anything because they already handed out the purse money. The betters all handed in their winning and losing tickets, and the betting part will be irrespective. To your point, if you, depending on what horse you bet on, you already won or lost. If, if horse racing actually wanted to make a statement, and they won't, think of other sports like MMA where 
you pop positive, it's a one-year ban your first time. Or Major League Baseball, where you get a 50-game or 60-game suspension first time. There, This is like his 10th time. It's his fifth time in a grade one race alone this year. At some point, horse racing has to take a stance beyond, come on, Bob, quit juicing all the horses and really suspend this guy for a meaningful amount of time, like all the way through next year's Kentucky Derby, or how are they ever going to be taken serious as a sport? Well, and also, you have to wonder, too, it's like, what kind of message does this send to the other trainers and that sort of stuff out there? It's like, do I have to start doing this, too, to try to compete with Baffert horses? It's been nonstop, Frank, since the hit, since as long as I can remember in horse racing, whether it was juicing horses, sponging horses, where they put the dry sponges up their nose and then the horse saliva causes it to expand and the horses fade down the stretch, or the jockeys using tasers. It wasn't that long ago in a Kentucky Derby we had a, a taser scandal. I mean, the sport has just been so utterly filled with corruption, and yet there are no authoritative bodies here taking any real action to clean it up. And what the newer generation says is, no thanks. Oh, I mean, they have no interest in a sport where it's inhumane to the animals, where the trainers and the jockeys are corrupt, the sport is full of corruption, and oh, by the yeah, and oh by the way, it has the biggest takeout in gambling. Oh, and we're going to take out 25 to 28% younger, smarter, more astute gamblers say no thanks to horse racing. And speaking of which, we talked about this for, with our Kentucky Derby preview about the, the problems with Paramutual and all that sort of thing. What's an update on, on, on that, Matt, and, uh, from a betting perspective here? Look, I mean, there is a, a law called the Interstate Horse Racing Act, and it, and depending on your interpretation of it, it basically prohibits fixed odds horse racing. Now, Australia is a perfect example of a, a country that had a huge horse racing marketplace that dwindled even further down to the bottom than America's has right now, although America's is getting there rapidly. And then Fixed Odds was able to resuscitate that Australian horse racing scene from from basically rock bottom, and now it's flourishing, doing much better. You know, they 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 don't have the corruption they used to have. The paramutual system is gone, and the bookmakers book at Fixed Odds, and it's all great and regulated for a change. So I could tell you that almost every single operator in the country here, at one point or another, over the last 24 months, has applied or tried to get fixed odds horse racing approved in many of these states so it would be regulated by the authorities. And other than Nevada and in-state New Jersey races only, um, they have completely failed across the entire country. The horsemen's associations and the racing associations on the, across the country hold so much power, um, and, and, and they don't care. They've, they've turned a blind eye to corruption for over 100 years. They've taken for granted their audience. They haven't refined their product to meet the newer or younger audience. I just don't see, if things don't change, I don't see how horse racing exists in 10 years. When it comes to the upcoming Preakness this coming Saturday, what do they do? Do they let Baffert run both his horses? Do they hope everything's settled by then? I mean, what course of action do they have? Because if they tell him that he can't run and then he beats the test again, 
then they're leaving themselves open. Don't you pretty much assume that the Baffert horses will be in the Preakness? I guess at this point, if they want to make a stand, and again, it's not just that his Derby winner, Medina Spirit, tested positive. Four grade one winners this year alone, this year is only four and a half months old, have tested positive. If you want to make a stance, if you want to show the people betting, and let's face it, those people betting horses are getting older and older by the second, but if you even want to assure them that this sport has any ounce of integrity left, you have to take a stand and not let this horse run in the Preakness and not let any Baffert horse run in the Preakness. Matthew Holt joins us, U.S. Integrity. All right, man, let's talk a little hockey here. A huge game tonight, Golden Knights and the Avalanche at the Fortress. This game is a virtually pick em. Don't see too many of those um, at uh, T-Mobile Arena where the Golden Knights may be a slight favorite uh, in this game. They've been on fire. And, again, huge game uh, for both teams. Yeah, this is awesome. These two teams have been so fun to watch. I mean, in a season where it, it, it's easy to see why fans have got a little tired, while the num- why the numbers are down lately in hockey with the same teams playing each other over and over and over and over again all season long, you get sick of seeing it. I could watch these two teams play hockey every single night. I love the games between the Golden Knights and the Avalanche. I pray that they get to play each other again in the playoffs with everything on the line. I couldn't be more excited. I can't wait to get home watch this game tonight. You're right, this is a big game. Uh, Vegas holds a four-point lead in the standings right now, and basically a win tonight secures Vegas the number one seed, so a lot on the line for the Golden Knights. We do not want to be the number two seed here. We want to have the number one seed, Uh, but boy, these two teams are fun. All right, uh, from a betting standpoint here, uh, good two-way action. What What are you seeing? Yeah, and you know what? We got some good news earlier as Nathan McKinnon is going to play tonight. That was questionable earlier. They did announce that McKinnon is probable, and we saw that boost. We saw that bump that that news had for the Colorado Avalanche. And it's funny because the Knights are so well-respected here in Vegas. Um but fans, but better is going to the betting window. Every single bookmaker in Vegas will tell you, oh, my futures books are all upside down to Vegas. But I'll tell you what I'm seeing across the board here across Vegas t- tonight. People are going to the window betting the Colorado Avalanche tonight here in Las Vegas. Well, and for Colorado, it's a big game, too, because Minnesota could still have home ice advantage against them in that first round. So they do want to win this. What's your feeling on who gets the, who gets the net tonight? You know, that's a good question. It feels like it's probably going to be Flurry. They still haven't announced it yet. Um, you know, I, I just don't – yeah, I think it's going to be Flurry tonight, really. And I'm thinking that he's going to stick with his rotation because you're going to have all kinds of questions and it will be a media circus. And it's a good thing the media is not allowed in the, in the locker room at this point in time, even though it can be treacherous with the Zooms and it's going to have to be second-guessed all the time because you can make that – uh, you move once the regular season's over and say, okay, Mark Andre Fleury is going to be our guy. But again, it just just it's, it just opens up a can of worms, and then also questions the relationship with, with Leonard and everything here. I don't know. I, we're all on the same page. Fleury has been the best goaltender for the Vegas Golden Knights. We all know that. But uh, you know, Peter DeBoer, it, it's going to be interesting. People are going to make a bigger story out of this than maybe the outcome tonight. Yeah, if, and look, if, if Flurry starts. So, 
who knows in the playoffs who he'll pick from a game-to-game basis. Every time you think you have it figured out, DeBoer throws us a curveball. Well, all I know is if it's not Flurry, if he hasn't done enough this year to get the start, look for some more uh, potential polls from Mr. Walsh. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Matt, we appreciate you, brother. Be good, man, and uh, good luck uh, on your your old-school fantasy baseball team, man. You're, you're, You're rolling this week. All right, appreciate it, brother. Stay away from Cowboys. Yeah. Talk to you later. <laughs> Never been a Cowboy fan. D- don't like him in Dallas, and, uh, you know, that's it. The only Cowboys I liked was Blazing Saddles. That was it. Yeah. That's you my- never said, how about them Cowboys? No. <laughs> I definitely didn't do that Saturday night. Like, <laughs> you didn't save a horse? I didn't save a horse. <laughs> no. I was far away from that horse as I could, man. Man, that guy reeked, too, man. Phew. I don't know what's going on there. I gotta start hanging. I, I gotta quit hanging out these establishments where you hang out. You know, uh, that, that that place is not known for that type of activity <laughs> whatsoever. So do not put it on the uh, the facility. Yeah. <laughs> it is known for the exact opposite. <laughs> That's why you hang out there. I got it. Good stuff, man. Besides, you don't need somebody to buy the dinner. You you had fillet the other day. I did. You made it. I made it. You actually grilled yourself. Yeah. Like, all right, Mother's Day, one day a year, I'll make you dinner. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And my daughter, she got all the groceries, Instacart star, and oh, yeah, good fillets. Good stuff. I want to thank BJ Armstrong for joining us today, Matthew Holt, Marco D'Angelo. Frank and I will be checking out the game tonight, the Knights and the Avalanche. So I'll see you at the Fortress, my friend. Maybe they should have named him Moderna Spirit. (laughs) Then they wouldn't have minded that he got a shot. Ouch. (laughs) TCMartinShow.com.